Well, good morning, church. I'm Brad. I'm the worship pastor here at Fox Valley, and I get to uh, bring the message of God to you over the next month, and I am ecstatic. I am, I'm very excited, and I just want to bring you into a little bit what encourages me, and that is that we all participate together. So much more than I would want this to be some type of lecture, I want this to be kind of a conversation that I'm leading in the book of the Bible. And so some things you can do, not just to encourage me, but also to encourage other people here this morning, are if something is said that you're convicted by, give a good hearty amen, right? Or, or maybe you don't want to speak up that much and you can just kind of give like a little bit of a nod or a, mmm, I'm pondering that, mmm. That physical posture really encourages me and it helps me and I think it helps other people engage as well. So I just want to mention that's kind of a personal uh, tidbit. And so one way to kind of get you participating today is uh, how many of you, by, by a show of hands, have heard about the story of Jonah? Put your hands in the air. Okay. Almost everyone. Now, how many of you have actually read the book of Jonah? Show of hands. Okay. So we lost, we lost a few. That's okay. Um, but I bet, this one's rhetorical, but if I bet if I asked how many of you have taken a deep dive and study of the book of Jonah, far fewer of you would have raised your hands because we think we know the story because of Veggie Tales, right? We, we think we know the story, which, by the way, I did go back and watch. You can go on YouTube and watch Jonah Veggie Tales, which I did this week, and it was pretty fun. Um, but, but right, the, the Veggie Tales situation, or maybe just children's books and different things that you've been a part of uh, that you've heard about Jonah. But my aim this month is to show you this book is far more relevant to us as adults, far more relevant to us as adults. And so you're going to get a, hopefully, a much deeper understanding and meaning of the book of Jonah. So I want to spend a few moments to talk about the context and the genre of the book. It's so important, right? We finished uh, just last week the, the series on Revelation, which is a entirely different style of literature in the Bible. And so we have to know how to, we have to know what type uh, of book it is as well as what the context is to know how to interpret the Bible. So I'm going to spend a little bit of time here because it's our first, our first week. So here's uh, a little bit of, of what's happening right now in the time of Jonah. Jonah was a prophet. We read this in verse 1. Jonah was a prophet. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. So we'll read that in a minute. But Jonah was a prophet, and he reigned during, or excuse me, Jeroboam II reigned over northern Israel. So Jonah was a prophet for northern Israel during the reign of Jeroboam II. And what I want to do is bring up the text of 2 Kings 14. So 2 Kings 14, uh, it says this. Follow along. There's a lot of big words and big names, but... If you have your Bible, you could turn to 2 Kings 14, verse 23. I don't have it on the screen. But here is our context where we learn about what's going on in Israel. It says this. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria. And he reigned 41 years. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. He restored the border of Israel from Lebohamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from Gath-hefer. 
So a lot of big words, a, a lot of names in there, and I encourage you to go back and read 2 Kings 14 after this message to get a little bit better context. But here are three takeaways from what I just read. You don't have to remember all the names or how to pronounce them. Three takeaways. The first is this. King Jeroboam II was a bad dude, okay? He was evil in the sight of the Lord. In fact, Jeroboam I was said in 1 Kings 14 to be the most evil king of all of Israel's kings. And here, Jeroboam II just continues that. Okay, so that's the first thing you need to know. Uh, Jeroboam II, bad dude, bad king. The second thing is Israel stood tall among other nations, physically tall. It says in the text that their boundaries expanded. So actually, under King Jeroboam II, they had more economic and political power and influence over people. Right? Physically, they stood tall, even though we know inwardly and spiritually, they stood very, very low in the eyes of the Lord. And lastly, thirdly, the other thing we need to take from this is that Jonah prophesied this expanse of the kingdom. It says Jonah spoke. So Jonah prophesied that Israel would expand their borders. And in fact, uh, Israel was in the best place uh, they had been physically since uh, the, the reign of King Solomon years and years prior. So that, that's where we find Jonah at the start of this book. He prophesies favor over evil king, and Israel is not in a good place spiritually, but physically they stand tall. Now, the genre of the book is, is another important thing to talk about. Uh, the book of Revelation we, we discussed early on in the series uh, was, was prophetic and apocalyptic. Well, the story that we're going to read over the next four weeks is called, uh, excuse me, where is it here? Oh, historical narrative, historical narrative. It's an historical narrative, and we know this for a couple of reasons. We know this because, as I just read in 2 Kings, Jonah's an actual person. He's an actual character who lived, and we'll even read in Matthew 12 next week. We're going to read about how Jesus even comments on Jonah. He was a real person, a real dude. Secondly, the very first line of the book gives us evidence that this is a historical narrative, and that is because it says, The word of the Lord came to it's very much in line with other prophetic books in the Old Testament where it starts off by saying the word of the Lord came to. So we are reading a historical narrative, events that actually happened. Now, the book of Jonah is, is so brilliant. In fact, uh, I'm not just saying this because I'm preaching it, but uh, many scholars believe it's the most sophisticated piece of Hebrew literature right? Old Testament written in Hebrew. It's the most sophisticated book in the Old Testament. And why? There's so many reasons why. I just want to point to just a couple. And the first is this. There is hyperbole, meaning everything is exaggerated. It's kind of goofy. Like there's a place to kind of giggle and chuckle. Everything is exaggerated. In fact, the Hebrew word for great or huge is used 15 times in this short book. Uh, the other thing, and you're going to see this throughout. It's kind of ridiculous. But the other thing is there's satire, they're satire. Think Saturday Night Live. Think SNL, right? They, they bring a, a, a person on. They have all these stock characters, but they bring like a famous person on, and they play this role, and they're essentially the butt of the joke, right? It highlights all of their, their weaknesses and their flaws, and, and what the show tries to do is get us to laugh at it, but the kind of the gut punches, they're really making fun of us and just getting us to laugh at it, right? Because this character represents like America or, or its viewers or people in general. And so that's what we're going to find as we read Jonah is we're going to be laughing at Jonah, but then we're going to realize kind of a gut punch is, oh my gosh, I'm kind of laughing at myself, right? 
And this book is going to kind of show us, right, Jonah about being God's people always, you know, being small-minded and hard-hearted and disobedient and selfish. And we're going to get to see all that in the mirror this month. And, and, and lastly, I want to say this about the, the context and about the uniqueness of the book. Every other prophetic book in the Bible, every other prophetic book in the Bible is the actual, the highlight or the focus is on the words of the prophet. But Jonah is so unique because he's a prophet, but we're not focused on Jonah's words at all. In fact, we're focused on his life, right? So God has something here for us today. We're focused on Jonah's life. It is very unique. Kind of the overarching theme that we're going to see as we study Jonah is, is kind of a nature of obedience, right? The nature of obedience and God's incredible compassion for all people. That's what we're going to see. It's kind of a, a case study on obedience, and we're going to see God's incredible compassion for all people. This is not an irrelevant old story. It's applicable every day to you and me, and today we're going to see Jonah specifically as the disobedient prophet. So would you pray with me? Um, Father God, we come before you knowing that you have all authority on earth and in heaven. God, you rule and you are sovereign over all things. Thank you, God, that we can be here this morning uh, freely to worship the one true God, to raise our hands in the air as we sing to Yahweh and, and to preach the word of God this morning. God, thank you that you choose to use us, small-minded, disobedient people, to accomplish much of your glory, God. That is such an honor and joy, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's dive in. Verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, if you can't find Jonah, there's a little index typically at the beginning of your Bible. It's a hard one to find because it's like two pages. So, um, but, but go ahead and, and find that if you can. And, and let's read. It says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. And I want to pause there. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Now, right away, we get brought into a little bit of satire and humor right off the bat. And I know you wouldn't see it, right, unless you dove, uh, you, you dove deeper or, or I'm telling you right now. But what the Hebrew words for Jonah, uh, what it means is dove. So Jonah means dove. And what do you think of when you hear dove? Purity, peace, uh, faithfulness maybe. And then the Hebrew word for Amitai is faithfulness. So, so right away, we get this text, and it says, uh, the word of the Lord came to Dove, son of faithfulness. But Jonah is a little bit of a like, sneak peek here, a giveaway, but, but Jonah is the most faithless character in the whole story, right? And yet, we see this. There's permission to kind of chuckle and laugh at that. It's supposed to be funny. God has a sense of humor. So anyway, let's, let's keep going. Let me find it here out of my scripture. Okay, here we go. Now the word of the Lord came to Dove, a son of faithfulness, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going down to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Try to say Tarshish five times fast. That one is hard. It's hard to say once. Um, okay, so before we start judging Jonah, before we start poking fun, I think it's important that we understand a little bit of Nineveh and what's going on here. So Nineveh is the largest city in the world, about 120,000 people. So the largest city in the world at the time, and it's the capital of Assyria. Well, who are the Assyrians? Uh, arguably Israel's biggest enemies. 
Now, as a prophet, what Jonah would, would typically be doing is listening to God and saying, okay, God, well, what's your message for me to give to the Israelites? So this is very unique. God is saying, I want you to go outside of Israel to talk to people. Now, Jonah right away was probably like, Nineveh, Nineveh, where's Nineveh in Israel? I don't know where Nineveh is, right? And God's like, no, 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 that Nineveh, right? And right away, Jonah's like, I'm out, man. I want nothing to do with this. Maybe, why, why? So the the Ninevites were evil, evil people, okay? Evil people. In fact, just to give you one little picture is one of the things that they would do is, is they would go into, they would raid a town and they would take the leaders of the town and put them in front of everyone and they would skin them alive, So that just gives you a a, a glimpse, right, of these evil, evil people. And they worshiped other gods and did everything detestable in the sight of the Lord. But I don't know about you. I I was reading that and I'm like, I'm happy I'm here this morning, right? I'm happy I preached to you guys. I'm happy that I get to come and preach to you and I don't have to go to Nineveh because I would have been terrified. I would have been very scared. I think all of us would have been very scared. And one of the interesting things is actually we're going to find out that Jonah wasn't in fear for his life. That wasn't what led to his disobedience. Let's go ahead and pull up a map here. This is what's going on here in terms of the the map landscape in the story. So Israel, right, would have been just north of Joppa. So it says he went down to Joppa. And and look where God was calling him to go. It's about 500 miles northeast. And and Jonah's like, no, I'm going to go about 2,500 miles to the other side of the world. It's July 4th, we're, we're celebrating Independence Day, but there was no America back then, right? That, that is modern-day Spain, and that is the furthest, uh, that's the furthest spot in the known world. Christopher Columbus had not come onto the scene yet. And so anyway, he is saying, I want to run to the other side of the world. Now, I think we get a glimpse. I think we get a little glimpse of Jonah's heart, right? It's not like I'm going to begrudgingly kind of go where you tell me. It's like I'm going to do the exact opposite. I'm going to do the exact opposite. Now, if God called me to do something I didn't want to do, I think I might hide in my own basement. I think I might call you up and be like, can I hide in your basement? But I certainly wouldn't want to go 2,500 miles away. At least I don't think I would. But, but here's a kind of a key, and we're going to keep seeing this, is Jonah had his own view of life. He had his own vision for his life. And it did not include to go preach to people that were not his own people, Right? And it did not include to go preach specifically to his enemies. And he would not have won any popularity contests. Right? All we have to do is put ourselves in uh, the posture of other Israelites. And when, when there's a prophet, you're hoping they would say something like this. Jonah would say, word came from the Lord. And he says, the Ninevites are going to all be destroyed and I'm going to kill them all. And you can just imagine, yeah, right, our enemies are conquered. And that's not what God tells Jonah. Jonah would not have won any popularity contest. In fact, he was probably infuriated at God's compassion. So frustrated that God would save such evil, mean people. And here he tries to become the first prophet to run from God. It's ridiculous, right? He he would have been uh, very well equipped to hear from God, and yet he thinks he can run from God. It's like he never read Psalm 139. And I know sometimes we struggle uh, to understand, like when did when did uh, the Old Testament prophets and when did the New Testament people have access to to documents and the spoken and the written word of God? But but make this is very clear. Jonah had access to the Psalms, and he had access to the Psalms of David, and specifically 
basically, we're going to find out next week in chapter 2, Jonah is quoting scripture like a crazy man. He knows it front to back. So Jonah knows the word of God. And here's what it says in Psalm 139. He probably knew this by heart. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. This leads me to something we're going to do one time each week over the series, and it's called a Jonah moment. It's called, uh, it's called a Jonah moment, and uh, one of the things that... Uh, I think is really crazy as I've been studying this and being convicted about what, what God is telling me specifically. There's all these aha moments, like these gut punch moments where I'm like, you're ridiculous, Jonah. Like, what are you even doing? And then I realize that I do the exact same thing. And so we're going to have kind of like a aha, right? Like a light bulb moment uh, once in every service, a Jonah moment, if you will, uh, where we're going to just see this kind of up close ourselves in the mirror. And so here it is for us. Jonah is trying to outrun God. Jonah is trying to become the first prophet to ever outrun God. He's traveling across the world the opposite direction. He'd rather disobey God than to hold on to his own vision of life. But right, we do the same thing. Just like the slide says, this is us. This is what we do. Now, maybe we don't travel uh, across uh, 2,500 miles. Maybe we don't travel across the ocean or get on a boat. But I want to press into some different ways that we do this together. Here, i got to turn on my, my light bulb moment for you all so you don't forget. This is my son's uh, monitor. He started getting scared of the dark uh, recently. It's like, when did that happen? Uh, so now we have a little nightlight. So this is going to be our prop uh, this, this series for our Jonah moment. So anyway, right, he's trying to outrun God, but, 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 but this is us. We do the same thing, and here's some examples. right? Maybe uh, we do this through holding on our, to our money, right? Maybe we get a stimulus check or we get a bonus and we think this is mine, I've earned it, and God says, no, 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 I want you to, to be generous with it. I want you to do something with it. You're like, no, 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 my money is mine. Uh, maybe it's through immorality, right, through sexual immorality, or maybe it's through debauchery, which is like doing things to feel good, drunkenness or, or drugs. Uh, maybe it's laziness. Maybe God's like, get in the game. Stop, stop going to church and assessing how the, how the service went based on how you felt the preacher did or how you felt the music went. What role did you play in making the service good, right? We're all part of the body of Christ. Uh, maybe, and I think this is a good one, maybe it's getting out of a relationship, Right? Maybe you're in a relationship, it's a friendship or a romantic relationship, and God's like, you need to get out of there. And you're like, no, I'm going to go to Tarshish. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep being in this relationship. And I have an example, not my lovely wife. This was before I met her, but I was in a relationship with a woman and uh, back when I was in college, and God was so clearly telling me to step away from that. So clearly, through other believers, right? When, I, when God's people are like really speaking into your life, you should listen. I didn't listen. And so I booked the Tarshish by playing music and listening or, or having the TV on and playing music whenever there was a silent moment. I never once sat in quietness for a year. Never once, because I did not want to hear from God. These are some different ways, right, that we hold on to things. We hold on to our vision of life. And this is my first point. It's that you can't outrun God. The, the, the lessons of Jonah, right, these points are not going to be like, oh, I've never thought of that before. 
They're obvious things, right? But we need to be reminded, you can't outrun God. And believe me, you do. And I encourage you to keep thinking about the ways uh, that you do this. As I was pondering on my own disobedience, um, which I do have, right? I was pondering on my own disobedience, and I thought to myself, don't we work harder sometimes to be disobedient than if we would just obey what, what God said to do, right? Like Jonah's trying to go 2,500 miles away rather than 500 miles, and he still is going to have to go to Nineveh. It's like we work harder at our own uh, disobedience than if we were to just do the assignment that God called us to do. Or, or we get creative, right? We're creative sinner. You're a creative sinner. I guarantee you, in your heart, you are a creative sinner, right? Maybe you have two cell phones and you want to hide uh, what you're doing from your spouse with one of your cell phones. Those cell phone plans are expensive. That is work you're doing. That is creative. Maybe you have an incognito browser that you don't want your, your spouse to see. And so you go there and look up whatever you want to look up and then you clear your history. And, and we put this extra work into things to disobey God. Or, or maybe you're holding on to a grudge. Right? You're holding on to a grudge. Uh, someone has upset you and you're holding and carrying uh, that bitterness. And it's like, wow, if you just obeyed God and forgave that person, it would be so much easier if you just forgave, right? We put so much energy and creativity into disobeying God. And, and I, then I had like another light bulb moment and I thought, what if we put as much energy and creativity in obeying God as we did in disobeying God? That's just something to ponder on. What if you put as much energy and creativity in obeying God as you do in disobeying God? That would be pretty cool what would happen. All right, let's keep going. Uh, we're on Jonah 1, now we're on verse 4. But the, word, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea that the ship threatened to break up. Here's another kind of silly moment, right? The ship is actually threatening to break itself apart. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So enter the sailors on the scene. Enter the mariners, right? And these sailors didn't worship God. We know they didn't worship God because the text says uh, that they each cried out to his own God. And you know what really stinks in a polytheistic view? Like polytheism is where you worship a lot of different gods and monotheism is where you worship one God. And in a polytheistic view, if, if you've like done something wrong or something bad is happening, you have no idea which God you ticked off. I mean, you just have to pray to all of them and hope you land on the right one. I don't know about you, that, that doesn't sound very appealing to me. But what is the one true God doing in this scene? What is the one true God doing? He is sending a storm. God's mercy, God's compassion for Jonah comes in a storm to intervene, to, to fix Jonah's eyes back on him. Like he's trying to get Jonah's attention. And you probably know this and you probably experienced it. But if you run from God, if you disobey God, he will probably send a storm in your life. Right? It's all throughout scripture, all throughout scripture uh, of the times that God has sent storms so his people turn back to him. I've experienced, very experiential, right? When I'm disobeying God, a storm comes and he tries to get my attention and bring me back. And I don't know if you guys have been on ships. Have you guys, has anyone been on like a cruise ship before? Raise your hand. Have you been on a cruise ship? Okay. I, I've been on a cruise ship. I was in ninth grade or 10th grade, Royal Caribbean. It was awesome. It was fun. Uh, but I never, I was never on a ship when there was a storm. 
like a big, huge, right as the text says, huge, huge storm. I've never experienced that. And I don't know what I would be doing. I like to think of myself as a hero, right? I think most of us do, most guys do. Like you just can picture yourself helping uh, babies and children and, and sheltering women to safety. But I might be terrified and I might be uh, laying down somewhere or hiding or I, I, get, I get a little seasick or I get a little dizzy from movement. So I don't know what I would be doing, but I can tell you this, I don't think I would be asleep. I don't think I would be asleep. And that's exactly where we find Jonah. He's sleeping. The storm is raging around him, and, and the dude is sleeping. When you read scripture, it's important to look for themes. It's important to look for uh, these ideas that keep coming up. And we have a theme of, of Jonah going down. We have this theme of going, Jonah going down. In fact, it's used, I believe, four times. It says Jonah went down to Joppa, and then he went down into the ship. And depending on your version, I, I don't think the NIV, for example, says the word down, but the Hebrew text does say he went down into the ship. I'm reading from the ESV this morning, the extra spiritual version. You get it? Anyway, he went down to Joppa, down into the ship, he went down below the deck and lay down in a deep sleep. We got this image, right, of Jonah physically and spiritually descending. The book starts with God saying, arise, right, arise and obey me. Instead, Jonah goes down, descending in this state of spiritual slumber, literal slumber. This is such a perfect picture of our contentment with sin, right? We love living life our way. We love doing things our way, which oftentimes mean, means disobeying God, and, and we're content with it. We somehow, we somehow justify it, and we, Jonah is disobeying God. He knows that God is the God of the sea. God is the God of the, the land. He knows the storm is his fault, and he's sleeping. He doesn't even care. It shows an apathy, a numbness that's going on, and I think we all... We all do this. We do it too. Let's keep reading. Verse 6. Verse 6. It says this. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise. Even the pagans are calling him to arise. Arise. Call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us and we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and, and where do you come from, and, and what is your country, and what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done for the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. So these sailors, they pick up Jonah. They pick up Jonah and he's kind of like a hitchhiker almost. I expect that some of the sailors knew each other and they pick him up. He's not a hitchhiker because he paid. He did pay the fare, the text says. And, and disobeying God will cost you. I just want to say that. That's free. Uh, disobeying God will um, cost you. But they, they pick up Jonah, 
And right away, this storm hits. They have bad luck, and they're like, whose fault is it? Who's, whose fault is this? They're calling out to their gods, right? And I just was reminded how much I love to blame people, you know? Like, like I love to blame people for my problems. I do it to Emily all the time. I, I, it makes me feel so good to shirk the blame off myself and blame other people and not actually deal with it myself. And, and they're finding someone to blame, but the truth is Jonah was to blame, right? And God even uses their kind of anti-God, their pagan ritual of casting lots to, to point the blame at Jonah. God is so sovereign in all these different things. And so, so picture this. You're Jonah right now, and you're sleeping. I don't know how you got there, but just go with me. You're sleeping, and all of a sudden these sailors wake you up. They're like, hey, wake up. Who are you? What, what is happening? What's going on here? And you say this. I know it is the God of heaven. I worship the God of heaven who made the sea and made the dry land. He admits that he's running from God. He knows these things. And so what his suggestion is, is to just throw him overboard. Now, I don't know about you. I thought about this a lot. How often I know a fact about God, but it doesn't change my behavior, right? Jonah is stating all these truths, all these facts about who God is. And yet his conclusion is to be thrown off the ship. Maybe that comes across noble to some of you, good guy, sacrificing his life for everyone else, but I don't think it's that honorable to want to die before obeying God. In fact, maybe it's one of his most cowardly moves yet. So anyway, he suggests that the sailors uh, throw him overboard, and I want to uh, keep reading here, starting with verse uh, 12. He said to them, pick me up. Hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. And nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Wow. So the men are trying everything possible. The sailors who don't worship God are trying everything possible to not kill Jonah. Jonah's like, just throw me overboard. And they're, they're doing everything. They're, it actually says that they're throwing out all their things that they collected, right? Their, their goods, their treasure that they probably stored up or were moving somewhere. They're throwing it all off the boat. And finally, they're like, okay, we'll throw Jonah off. But God, clearly you're Yahweh. Clearly you are the one true God. And so please don't punish us uh, for doing this. And as soon as they throw Jonah off, it just got quiet. It reminded me of when Jesus is down below deck with the disciples, right? And there's this raging storm going on. And we know Jesus is in a little bit of a different heart posture than Jonah in this story. Jesus is actually testing the disciples' faith. And, and he's like, you have little faith. And he comes up and he just causes the storm to cease. That would be an unbelievable experience, wouldn't it? It said that they're in awe. The sailors were in awe. They feared the Lord. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. They feared God and worshiped him. What stood out to me uh, so much is that God used Jonah's disobedience to still accomplish his glory, his purpose, and so we actually use Jonah's disobedience to save or bring these sailors to a place of repentance and a place of worship. God is good. Amen? Amen. That's the second point this morning, that, that God has compassion for the lost. 
God has compassion, great compassion for the lost. God desires all people to come to repentance. In 2 Peter 3, 9, I love this verse, and sometimes I, I like to step out and, and read other versions. And so the message version really uh, poetically captured this for me, and it says this, the message version of 2 Peter 3, 9, God isn't late with his promise, as some measure lateness. He is restraining himself on account of you, holding back the end because he doesn't want anyone lost. He's giving everyone space and time to change. God loves your enemies. God loves your enemies. You, you may think that God has a limited amount of compassion, but God loves your enemies. And you know what? God loves the people in your life uh, that you love that don't know Jesus. God loves the people in your life who don't know Jesus yet. And so I just want to encourage you to keep praying for them. Keep praying for them. I know people in this church who have been praying for salvation for a loved one for 30 plus years. God hears your prayers and he has utter compassion. And the reason he hasn't come back yet is because he wants more and more people to be saved. If you're here this morning and, and you haven't placed your trust in Jesus, if you're here and you've never given your life to him, this is a little bit of what it means to follow Jesus, what we're talking about. It's handing over your vision of life for a better, a better vision of life that God has for you. And it hurts, right? The Bible talks about uh, picking up your cross and carrying it. It's work, but it's beautiful, and it's abundant life that God ultimately gives us. And so if you're here and you haven't done that, the Bible makes it very clear. He makes it, it makes it very clear about what it means to be saved. It's not confusing like some other religions the Bible talks about that we were sinners and that God sent his son Jesus that was both fully God and fully man to come to this earth to pay the price for our sin. So he died on the cross. Jesus died. His body was broken and his blood was shed for your past, your present, and your future sin. And that if we come to a place of repentance, the Bible says this, I believe it's in Romans 5, 8. If you uh, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. And you will have abundant life that comes with that. I want to invite you to do that. And if you do, I would love to talk to you about it. It's an amazing life to live. It's so encouraging when people step into that. I want to now just finish up this morning by uh, speaking to those of you who are believers. And th this is convicting. I want you to prepare yourself for a, a little bit of a convicting moment. And that's this. I believe there is a clear area in each of our lives where God is calling us to grow. I believe that there is a clear area in each of our lives where God is calling you to grow. Are you going to be disobedient like Jonah? Or are you going to step into God's vision for your life? Another way to say it maybe is like, where is Jesus not welcome? Like, like God, I'll, I'll go to church. I'll even serve. I'll, I'll put a 20 in the offering basket. But no, you can't touch any of this. This little part of my life is just for me. I'm going to cling to it and I'm going to hold on to it. Every single one of us, I believe, is holding on to something that we need to just give over to God. Where are you booking it to Tarshish? I want to go ahead and invite you to get your communion elements out, and, and the band can go ahead and come on out when they're ready. And we're going to go ahead and take a time of communion together. The Lord has commanded us to do this, to remember what he's done for us, and allow communion, church, allow this time of communion to say, God, I... We'll step into what you have for my life. 
I will hand over that area that I've been running from you, that I've been booking it to Tarshish. Let's use communion this morning, church, to do that. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Whenever you take this, take this in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. Then he took a cup of wine and he said, this is my blood poured out for you. Whenever you drink this, drink this in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. Father, God, thank you for not letting us be too far gone. God, thank you for not abandoning us when we deserve to be abandoned. Thank you that even when we try to run 2,500 miles away, literally or, or metaphorically, God, that you still step in, that you send a storm of compassion, infuriating compassion, God, to bring us back to a place on our knees in front of our Savior. And God, this morning I pray that we would take that compassion, we would take that mercy that you have given us to give back to you, God, our whole life, everything. God, not, not 90%, but God, we would be willing to step into this vision of life that you've called us to, letting go of whatever we're grasping, letting go of the place that Jesus wasn't welcome before, God, and confidently walking in that. And as we sing this next song, would we be able to respond to you, thanking you, praising the one true Yahweh this morning in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and get on our feet, church. Let's respond to God's mercy and compassion by giving uh, our life to him this morning, by giving over those areas that we've been holding on to.